We're going to be back in Colossians. So if you want to turn to Colossians chapter 1, I believe a couple weeks ago we ended up on 14, verse 14, so we're going to pick up at verse 15. Who is the image? Now this who is Jesus. Last time we were in Colossians, um, starting with verse 9, uh, really got into uh, talking about Jesus Christ. And now we're continuing with that. And so pay very close attention that this is indeed talking about the one in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Okay, so God is a spirit. Remember when uh, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, that we must worship in spirit and in truth. See, God, God is a spirit. You can't see him. So he is an invisible God, but Jesus came to be something that we can see. We're humans. We need to see things. And if you notice that throughout time, people so much have to have something that they can look at, something they can pick up, and they make these false gods out of wood and stone so that they can just have something to look at. The nation of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they ended up breaking off the uh, gold and melting it down and making the golden calves. So Jesus came in a human form, and he is the image. And when when he was asked by his disciples, show us the Father, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This, this very verse who says that Jesus was the image of the invisible God, when it says, the end of this verse says, the firstborn of every creature, there are false teachers and certain denominations that will say that Jesus was created at a certain time. And they'll use this verse as uh, being the firstborn. Now, throughout Scripture, you will notice that there's a whole lot of people that were born first, but weren't even called firstborn. Can you think of some? We talked about a couple. We talked about one at Sunday school this morning. But go back to uh, Jacob and Esau. Rebecca is pregnant with both of them. She has twins. If I get a name wrong, you got to catch me, okay? So Rebecca has twins. They're fighting in her womb. And God explains to her, oh, that's another one we can add to the list. The list that we've been doing. If you weren't here Wednesday, if you haven't heard Wednesday, uh, we're up to like seven of verses in the Bible that have womb in it and babies being talked about in the womb. So Esau comes out first. So he is technically the firstborn 
Jacob comes out second. But Jacob is treated like the firstborn. It's it's a if you know in in America we don't we don't see it so much but in the Jewish culture that is a very significant standing to be firstborn. How about how about Jacob? He has a bunch of sons, right? How many sons did he have? 12 sons. Can you name them? Joy could probably get get most of them. I can probably do it, maybe. But it's kind of uh, uh, dangerous to try to do that. But who was the first one born? Hmm? What's that? Reuben was the firstborn. Did he carry out all the things of the firstborn? What, what, would, what would you do as the firstborn in the nation of Israel? You would get a double portion. You would lead your people, your family... In worship, and really, there's another thing that was really significant when you when you see the firstborn, who were not necessarily born first, but they were carrying on as the firstborn. They ended up being in the line of Jesus. If you really pay attention, so Reuben lost it. He was the firstborn, but he lost all of that. Who got the double portion out of the 12 sons? Who got the double portion? Anybody know? Joseph. Joseph? Very good. He got a double portion. So it went to his two sons. We see it because Joseph's not even mentioned as, as being, being in the 12 tribes. It's Ephraim and Manasseh. Another example of the firstborn not be, being treated as the firstborn. Ephraim, the hands were switched, the blessings went to the opposite one. Who got the worship, leading worship? Who, who out of the twelve, who got that? Who was treated as the firstborn? It ended up being Levi. Who was in the line of Christ? Judah. So it, those three things that you get as the title of firstborn got separated up into three different boys there in that family. So Jesus, when he's called the firstborn of every creature, Adam was the first man, Jesus was the second man, but yet Jesus took over as the title of being the firstborn of everything. He is the preeminence. Jesus is, as you keep reading, I don't know how anybody could take this and make it into where Jesus is a created being, when as we keep reading from here, we're going to see that He's the one who created everything. So how could you be a created being when you created everything? That's impossible. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And, be, and He is before all things, 
and by Him all things consist. That's Jesus Christ. 18. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. There's that word. So, what you see in 15 is Jesus' relationship to God. He's the image of the invisible God. We are created in the image of God as well. Every human being has significance and worth because we're created in the image of God. Jesus came down here to be like us because God is invisible. He's spirit. But Jesus came down to be in a human form so that He could be like us. You know, I, I talked a long time ago about how the veil in the temple was multicolored. It, was, it, had, it had red and blue, and then it blended into a purple. The color red, it, over in, in Hebrews, probably in chapter 10, it, it says that Jesus, the veil was a, was a picture of Jesus, the, and it says something about the veil which is His flesh, or like His flesh. That's what it says in Hebrews. And so that veil, red symbolizes Adam. The word Adam pretty much means red. Earthly, earthy, made from the dust of the earth. And then the blue color represents heaven, where God is. So man from the dust of the earth, blending with God in heaven... Blending together, the red being mixed with the blue turns into purple, which is the veil in the temple. And Hebrews makes the comparison that the veil and the flesh of Jesus were similar. They they, they are a type of each other. The veil was rent in two when Jesus died on the cross. The flesh was broken for us so that we couldn't get to the throne of grace in heaven, which was the picture of the Holy of Holies. Only one priest could go into the Holy of Holies. We were excluded, but because of the flesh being broken on the cross for us, and it opened up the veil to the Holy of Holies so that each and every one of us can go directly to God. So 15, he's the image of the invisible God. That's his relationship to God. Verses 16 and 17, talking about all these things that he created, that shows his relationship to creation. And and, uh, notice in 17, it says, and he is before all things. Why doesn't it say, And He was before all things. But it says, He is before all things. That sounds a little weird, doesn't it? 
If you, if, you, if you were wanting to correct English here, you might want to change that. But you would be messing with deity. Jesus said, in John 8, 58, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. Notice the present tense. That's deity. Deity was from before the beginning all the way to eternity. That's deity. God, Holy Ghost, Jesus Christ, that's the triune God, and it has always been. So present tense is perfect. Always has been, always will be. So there is no was or going to be. It's is. Present tense. 18. He is the head of the body, the church. That's all the people who believe on Jesus Christ. Every, any person who is able to... They, they hear the word, and then the faith comes by hearing the word, and then they realize who Jesus really is and what he did for them, and they believe on Jesus, they become part of the body, which is the church. Jesus is the head of that. So in verse 18, that's his relationship to this mystery church that was hid from the, New, from the Old Testament people. And, this is verse 20, wait a minute, 19, I... I I didn't read 19. 19, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Jesus is everything. He's not part. He's everything. If you miss him, you've missed it all. To try to make Jesus as just a really, really good created being, a heavenly being, you're, you're diminishing him. And you can't do that. 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Notice it's things. He's talking about things. He's made peace through the blood of his cross. So he's reconciling things to himself. You know, you know that all of creation is, is uh, groaning. All of creation is cursed because of sin. So he's, he, Jesus is, by what he's done, and that, that is still the case right now. That, this hasn't, the, the reconciliation is going to come one day, but it really hasn't happened when you think about things. Even animals could be imparted, can be put in that. But what, look, what, look what the next verse says. 21. And you, people, and you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So people, 
You know, the Word of God says that one day in the future, at some point, sooner or later, every knee will bow. But not every knee that bows is going to be reconciled. Does that make sense to you? You understand that? That's critical that you get it. It's not that every, at some point in the future, everybody's going to end up being saved. Not at all. Because if you see, the reconciliation happens to people on a day by day basis whenever that person believes and wants to make the Lord Jesus the Lord of their life. That is where you see, God doesn't need to be reconciled to anything. But we need to be reconciled to Him. But everybody, one day, whether they get reconciled now or not, is going to bow to Him one day. They're going to be part of the people that are going to spend the eternity with Him, or they're going to be part of those people who will be going to hell forever. So the reconciliation can happen to people right now. The earth and creation is still waiting on that to come true. But we're walking in a very dark, hurting world as people, if we believe, we're, 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 another, we're in another kingdom. We're, we're walking around in this terrible place, this world that seems to be getting worse and worse as time goes on. We're, we're good. We're okay because of what Jesus did for us. And one day... There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Even that's going to be reconciled. Remember, when Adam sinned, God cursed the ground that he had to work on. And briars and thistles and all these things started coming up, and he had to work the ground to have anything good. So you look at anything along a roadway, along a railroad track, along a fence row, if you don't purposely go out and maintain it, it will be a mess in no time. Briars and unwanted trees, all these things will grow up. If you, if you don't do anything to the flower beds out in front of this church, just, just don't do anything. Look at what happens to them. And if you don't have a servant like Dan come along and clean it all out, did an excellent job on that. Only left me that one little tiny bed out there by that little step. I was glad to see it. It was all easy stuff to pull out. He got all the hard stuff and made it look good for homecoming. And that's, that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a, a cursed ground. And, but one day, one day, that will also be reconciled. 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister." Now that word minister right there, all that really means is servant. Just real simple. He's made a servant. 
And this, in this, in, in this servant role, he's just trying to get everybody to understand the true gospel message. That's what he's doing in this particular spot right here. Now, if you're reconciled and you are made, you're, you're made holy and unblameable and unreprovable, even if you become saved, there's going to be a lot of things you still have to work on in your life. But as far as being presented to God, you're hid in Christ so you look perfect. That's the only way you're getting to heaven, is to be perfect like Jesus. We're, none of us are anywhere close to being perfect, so we've got to be hid in Him. That's the good, good, great news of the gospel. Awesome news. Now, this is, this is a, a tricky verse, 23. This verse, and I, and when, and I read all through verse, uh, uh, chapter 1 weeks ago in preparation of going back through it and breaking it down more. And, I, and when I read it, however many weeks ago it was, I said, I emphasized, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope, which is, again, hope is you're waiting on it, but you know it's true compared to I hope I get to go do whatever you want to do. We, we mess that word up. In the Bible, hope is a sure thing that we're just waiting for. Now, this makes it sound like your salvation is conditional, doesn't it? It makes it sound that way. It says you're going to be presented to God as holy and unblameable and unreprovable. And then it says, if you continue in the faith. So people uh, get, there's been arguments over this. See there, you can lose your salvation. So you got one group of Christians who say you can lose your salvation. See here? And they'll point that verse out to you. Then there's others say, no, no, there's no way. God keeps his own. He, he don't lose any. And you'll have a group over here that will argue that it don't matter what I do to mess up, I can't lose my salvation. It was called eternal life for a reason. And I got it. I can't do anything to mess it up. But here it sounds like you could. It says you've got to continue in the faith, grounded and settled. See, there was something going on at Colossae. There were people that later would be known as Gnostics. And they were, they had some really weird ideas. They were one of the groups that, that tried to diminish Jesus as being with God in the, in the beginning. They were very much into knowledge. I love knowledge, but worldly knowledge can get you in a mess. Sometimes it's better to move that aside and just have a childlike faith. We, we had a long discussion about this in Sunday school this morning. We were talking about, think, there, there are certain denominations who have different ideas on doctrine that they might say that, I don't even want to get into all that. But basically what I ended up saying was, we were talking a little bit about babies, and let's say you die as a baby, 
you didn't have a chance to accept Christ and all that. And there's some people who would say, that baby, that baby's lost. Because you're born into this world corrupted. Just because of the blood that passes through. The sin of Adam passed, passed through everybody. So no one's innocent when they're born. But yet, God, what I say? God has it all figured out. I, I can't, my, pers- my view is, you, you're going to reach an age of accountability where you have to make a decision. And I think if you die before that age of accountability, you're okay. So any baby that is like a miscarriage or an abortion or a little child that dies, that gets, I think that God has got it figured out. I may not have it figured out, but I know He is perfectly just and that He's got it figured out. I don't have to know all those things. But everybody has to make a decision. So how do you, how do you uh, figure this little problem out? What I think, this is just strictly what I think. I think that's why there's a real millennium, a thousand-year reign of Christ. There are many preachers who have been to Bible college that have all this knowledge that are now saying that they don't think the millennium is a literal thousand-year reign. We got people who will fight and fuss over tribulation and is the church going to be raptured out before or during or after? Is there going to be a millennial reign of Christ literally sitting on the throne of David? Or if was that all just figurative and this, that, and the other? I think there is going to be an actual thousand-year reign. And in that time, remember, this is just what I think. This is not, I can't show you in the Bible where this is true, but I think that that thousand-year reign is going to be the time where any person, whether it was some type of mental problem where they, you know, people are born ways where they can't ever really have a good functioning mind and they die, children who die, all the little babies who die, that during that thousand-year reign, they will be brought back to make a decision in that thousand-year reign. That's just my opinion. Just something to think about. <clears throat> so there were people being moved away from the gospel because of these crazy little uh, sects that were, that were being brought up, these cults that, that were teaching all these weird things. And we're still dealing with it today. Like I've said... There are all kinds of so-called Christianity, religious type things that you can bring up on YouTube, podcasts out there, and most of them are messed up. You've got to be so careful with, with what you're listening to. There's some that are excellent, will, will entertain you and get you drawn in only to... What they're trying to do is getting certain points in your mind. They're very creative and how they get people drawn to them, but then they're going to give you some bad information. Some of them are very innocent, and I'm not too worried about those, but there's some that are really well thought out that scare me. So can you be drawn away? I don't think you can. I think it's, this is more for those who 
profess something but don't really truly have salvation yet. They're, they're in that process of, of, of being drawn to, and the devil sees it. Remember, remember the uh, parable of the sower. The seed, the, good, the word of God, the seed is thrown out. And it lands on different types of soil. And it takes root, and it starts to do something, but only a quarter falls on good ground. Right? So, the good thing, you can see, you might, they might, you might uh, have somebody that is wanting to try this Christianity thing out. See, I, I've met plenty of those at the jail over the years. You know, doing Bible study at the jail, I've met plenty of guys who have tried all these different programs and it was just something else to try. I'll give that a try, see if that helps me. And they'll come in and they'll hear the word and they are wanting to believe it and they may even say, yeah, I want, I want to join up. You can't really join up. Where do I sign? Do I need to say a pledge or you know, do anything? You just got to believe in Jesus, what he did for you. and they, They're just not getting it. But yeah, yeah, I want, to, I want to be part of that. And they just basically sign up like they're joining a club. Well, hopefully they keep coming back and they'll hear more and more of the word and they'll get more faith and then something finally happens to where it's a real salvation. That's probably what this is talking about. Because there was those Gnostic groups that were causing people to go away from the true gospel. We're under attack all the time. But if you are truly born again, I don't think you can be moved away. All right, so Paul is ministering this uh, wonderful gospel message. Now, there's another uh, minister. He's going to say, he's going to talk about laboring. We're gonna, that is a, it's a little bit different than the ministering that he's doing here. Hopefully we'll get to that. 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, this verse causes a big uproar. So you can say that Paul is saying that he's finishing up some unfinished work of Jesus. By reading this verse, you could say, well, Paul is claiming to finish up what Jesus wasn't able to do. Totally wrong. Jesus did everything. The people who brutalized, whipped, tortured Jesus, nailed him to a cross, they, were, they loved doing what they did. And people, even like Paul himself, who wrote this, was doing some of the same things. He was following Christ's followers, and he was making their life miserable. So now he's been converted, and now he is being persecuted, and anybody who is a Christian, especially in this time period that this was written, they were being chased down, they were being murdered. So... If Jesus said, the world hated me and they're going to hate you, 
They hated me before they hated you. And if you follow me, you're, you're going to suffer for it. Right? So, this is what Paul's talking about. If you go back and just, all you got to do is read through Acts. You will see the horrible things that Paul went through. He actually got stoned, blood everywhere, laying in the ground. They thought he was dead. They couldn't pick up a heartbeat drug him outside the city thinking he was dead. And I don't know if God brought him back to life or if he just had a faint heartbeat and he came back to and then went on his way. Snake bit by a, a snake that would, you would drop dead within a minute. Shipwrecked. Many times. Like I think it's three times he was shipwrecked. All these things that he went fought with beasts in Ephesus. Usually if you went into the Colosseum and you fought with beasts, you died. He said, I die daily. And he wasn't talking about crucifying his flesh. I promise you, he was not talking about that. He was talking about literally facing death on a daily basis. Literally. Facing death. So that's all he's talking about here, is he, because of what Christ did for him, he's willing to put his life on the line every single day and suffer the persecution that goes along with it. That's all he's saying here. He's not adding to what Jesus did. Paul would never do that. 25. Whereof I am made a minister, here it is again, minister, according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Again, people say, well, it's Paul that's saying that he's fulfilling everything. If you, if you read all of these uh, Romans through Thessalonians, those, those epistles that, are the, that Paul wrote, all of the doctrines are filled up in those. The, the, the doctrine of the cross, which is in Romans the doctrine of the church, which is Ephesians, and the doctrine of Christ coming again is in Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians. The other books in between are books on reproof and correction. Reproof and correction. Thessalonians don't need it because Christ has come. We don't need to be reproved and corrected. It ends everything. So all the doctrinal truths are all pretty much in those Pauline epistles. But then there's all these other ones that, that go along with it. That could possibly be what this means here, that he fulfills the Word of God. Or maybe that he's bringing understanding of this great mystery. Paul, when you look at all the other disciples, they didn't get the same thing that Paul got from Jesus. Paul went off on his own and was, was shown things by Jesus that the other apostles didn't get. But then there's uh, the Apostle John that got the, uh, the revelation that the other apostles didn't get. And all together make this perfect Word of God that we have right in front of us. So, what I just said, the mystery, 26, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Because of what he is writing and what he's preaching, this mystery that nobody could figure out is now understandable to those 
who he's preaching to. Okay? So that's fulfilling the Word of God when you finally get this mystery. 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we were talking about, there's, uh, in Sunday school this morning, we were talking about how there are groups of Christians, they got their, their, uh, they're messed up in thinking that the church is a replacement for the nation of Israel. That's called uh, replacement theology. Here's the problem with it. When they try to make the church modern-day Israel, we get all the blessings that Israel got and all that, what they do is they end up taking the whole thought process of one man being picked, Abraham, one nation being elect, and all the other nations are left out. The church reverses that. The church age, the body of Christ, it reverses Israel's way of doing things. And God, God, in the dispensation of law, God chose a group of people. Well, now that we're in the New Testament time period, the dispensation of grace, God doesn't pick just one. So there's denominations out there that say only the elect will go to heaven. And the unelect won't. And you really have no part to play in. Well, that's that mindset of Israel being the chosen nation. They are the elect. Well, in the church, because of what Jesus did, all can come. See the difference. Everybody, that mystery that was hid from the ages, now it's available to everyone. We are all the elect because of what Jesus did. Now there's preachers that will listen to what I just said and they will flip out. And they'll go back to uh, Esau and Jacob and say, see, Esau had no, no part in that he was going to be rejected and Jacob had no part in that he was going to be the one that was going to be uh, the, the father of the twelve. It all happened inside the womb. Yeah? But I know God's got to figure it out. I know that now I'm instructed to preach the word. If it's all predetermined, why do it? We are instructed to go out and do. So you cannot throw the free will of humans out the window. You've got to... If you can't figure it out, don't worry about it. Just believe child, and God's got it figured out, and look to Jesus. All right. All right. Now, here's the title of the message, is what I just read. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of, his, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, the title of the message, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, not just the elect ones, but every man perfect in Christ Jesus. 
Whereunto I, this is Paul talking, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And that's the end of verse of chapter 1. So Paul is not only a minister of getting the gospel to people. So what if, if you go out and you're just ministering the gospel and you get somebody saved, you're, you're, you don't do anything really other than just doing what you're told to do and giving the gospel. You're telling people about Jesus. And let's say they want Jesus and they make a profession of faith and they want to pray a prayer, and they want to ask God to forgive all their sins, and they do all that, and then you go, all right, great, bye. I don't ever want to see you again. And you run off, and you go try to find others. Is that right? Well, there's more to ministering. Now, there may be somebody that has the gift of evangelism. It's, it's like a person likes to fish and catch fish, catch fish, but they don't want to clean them. So they'll catch them, have a good time, and then they'll give it to somebody else to clean. Well, you might have a gift of cleaning the fish. So somebody might go out and do a good job of evangelizing them, getting them in the church, but they don't want any, any part of cleaning them up. Well, that's okay. There's plenty of us in here that are better at... Now, I'm, I don't, I'm not going out and catching them. I just get bored after catching, you know. But I'll, if you catch them, bring them in, and I'll clean them up. We all are part of the body. We all have different gifts. So if you're a teacher, you're just, you're just waiting for the fish to come in, and you can clean them up. We all work together. We are all ministers, which means servants. We all have a part. I love that last verse. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Don't ever try to do it on your own. It's got to be what he's doing through you. And when you see God working in you, you'll have more confidence to go do more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your wonderful word. Father, I pray that we would just want more of it. We would want to feed on your word. Father, that it will, it will get into us and nourish us. Give us the strength to do what you've called us to do so that we would be good servants. Thank you, Lord. Father, be with everybody who's here today. Bless them. Father, give us encouragement. Help us to see that it's important to be a servant for you. And Father, help us to touch people that are outside of this, this church building. Father, we have a, a wonderful message for a hurting world. Father, I hope that we are a people who are willing to share it. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.